Hello, everybody. Welcome to It Was Tuesday with your host, Nathan the Cat. I'm just the, his guest over here for today. Nathan the Cat is, oh God, he is, he is, uh, he just decided to lie down on the table and decided to uh, look for belly rubs at this point in time. Uh, so excuse me while I give him some, I wish I could move the camera down so you guys could see him. I can shift the camera over over here if I just turn this on real quick. Yeah, you can see him. He's just chilling there. Look at this. Look at this guy. He's just chilling. Oh, belly rubs. This is the content that you have come to see here on uh, It Was Tuesday. It is not about fighting games. It is about cat belly rubs, clearly. <laughs> And uh, evidently here, let me do something here. here. Well, I continue to give Nate. Sorry for <laughs> everybody's like, I want to hear about the topic. Instead, they get cat belly rubs like this. Sorry about that. Let's get to the topics at hand over here today. Um, oh, yes, this is a this is a 10 shirt right here. Uh, you can get this. This is an official 10 merch over here but let's go ahead and get this back over here because the cat is walking away let's actually can talk about fighting game stuff now shall we let's do this all right what are we going to talk about here first guys okay it's interesting there's you know even though there's a lot going on today uh you know it's really kind of uh there's a lot of things uh going on here but it's kind of hard to discuss a lot of these things I feel like uh, without trying to get some more, uh, you know, research information, talk about a bunch of things like that. So uh, I actually asked on Twitter, I was like, hey, what kind of topics would you like me to talk about? And someone actually just responded with, why do I suck? And I was like, you know, that's actually kind of a weirdly important question. I know it's a little trolly here, but, you know, I kind of want to talk about this a little bit here. Um you know, this concept of sucking at fighting games and, you know, why do I suck at fighting games? And I think it's an important thing to discuss. And I think it's something that a lot of players, you know, don't really delve too much into and instead just kind of end up in this uh, situation where they just feel like they suck and they're just not sure how to improve. So uh, I just kind of want to address this uh <laughs> in an interesting, uh, you know, kind of talk about this a little bit more deeply because uh, there's so much to this question, but it's a question that I think a lot of people ask themselves. I've often told myself, I'm like, God, I suck at fighting games. You know, when I was actually sitting there trying to get stronger at Street Fighter V, for example, you know, a lot of that was, you know, one, very different style of game than I'm used to. And then two, I was using a bad character, which didn't help at all. So, uh, so I kind of just, what was that you who asked the question, uh, Orchid? Was that you who actually asked the question? I can't remember now. Uh, no, it was somebody else, unless your Twitter name is very different. But uh, let's talk about this a little bit. Now, first of all, first of all, first of all, <laughs> The most important thing to establish right away is that it's okay to suck at fighting games, okay? There's nothing wrong with sucking at fighting games because when you're on this planet with a thousand million things to do, um, you are going to suck at 99.9999% of things that you are able to do uh, on, on the planet, <laughs> 
because there's so many things that you could possibly get good at on the planet, right? There's just too many things, right? Like anything that you name that can be a skill is something that you can suck at, basically, whether it's cup stacking, folding pizza boxes, or, you know, uh, blind knife tossing, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It's all just... Um, it's all kind of uh, one of the toughest things about this planet, right? And if you are a person who wants to do everything because your brain is ADHD or just because everything looks fun, you're going to end up being bad at the majority of it, right? So that's thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that's another way to look at it, as Shay says. I think we never stop sucking at fighting games, even if someone is an EVO champion. They still have so much to learn or to learn, you know, or or many people they can lose to for sure but you know let's let's talk about the people who are in the doldrums a little bit right i mean honestly i i've even told people on my normal stream so twitch.tv slash jchenzor <laughs> plug if you actually want to watch me over there i do a lot of teaching and i try to help a lot of beginner players but you know i've told people before that you know the one of the reasons why it's hard for them to improve at fighting games is because they have more important things in their life to do right so this is just the thing <laughs> this is the thing getting good at anything is going to require a lot of work getting good at anything is going to require a lot of time and a lot of research and a lot of struggle it's going to it's going to take a lot of heartbreak as well to become good at anything uh, like honda says in world tour mode you know we spend more time losing than we do winning you know uh, i forgot the exact quote but i mean honda's amazing in street fighter 6's world tour he's like the most helpful useful guy like he's just so like oh my god you know uh, like nobody ever got good at anything you know without losing more often than winning so it's going to take a lot of heartbreak, right? But I'm sure a lot of people out there have actually, uh, you know, heard this speech before, right? Oh, yeah, it takes a lot of time. And then you see some people who like Ending Walker who are like 16 years old and they're like world champions already. And you're like, dude, I've been playing fighting games for 16 years and I'm not even remotely as good at, at, at fighting games as Ending Walker is, you know. And um, it's tough. Uh, but, you know, so let's talk about this. Let's say you because the thing is, we address this a lot. We talk to people all the we talk all the time about maybe, you know, you don't spend enough time on it. You've got other important things, blah, 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 blah. But let's talk about the, the, the people out there who actually do want to get better and do have the time and want to spend the time to get better at fighting games and just have trouble getting better. Uh, you know, if we actually want to address the why do I suck at fighting games category, I'll tell you right now, um, I've often taught this whenever I teach beginners that fighting games are going to require that you look deep to within your own soul as much as humanly possible. Because uh, fighting games are, are, are very much a reflection of you, right? It's very much a, a, a window into your own weaknesses and, and, and such. You know, it's weird that, you know, it's a virtual video game simulated version of martial arts but a lot of it really is very similar to that kind of thing to a lot of the martial arts philosophy when you hear you know people like to quote bruce lee be like water you know you know you have to flow don't be rigid and these kind of things and 
Fighting games are a lot about that. So what one of the number one reasons why people have trouble improving in fighting games is because they don't take the time to realize what they're doing wrong, right? So what you hear from a lot of people who have struggles in fighting games is uh, oftentimes, yo, I can't win because this other thing is cheap, because, you know, oh, my character is bad, even when your character is good, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, you know, you always, there's a lot of excuses going on, and the one thing that I've learned about fighting games is you will never get better as long as you're making excuses. One of the things I've often talked about in fighting games and one of the things that makes fighting games such uh, an exposure into your own ability to grow and to become stronger as a player. And, and, and this, is, this is straight up like facts out here. And, and one of the things, this is something that someone said to me a long time ago and it stuck with me. And it's been so important at getting better at fighting games is the philosophy is that the character that you are playing in a fighting game is not any different than the character being used by anybody else. You know, the example my friend gave was, you know, back in the days when Daigo was more of a Ryu player. But like, you know, if you're playing a game and you're using Ryu and you can't win and Daigo's playing the same game and using Ryu and he's beating everybody, the Ryu that he's using is not any different than the Ryu that you're using is. Obviously, he has more experience, more knowledge, etc., etc., but the character literally is the same, right? There's no extra capabilities. There's no uh, extra experience points. He hasn't bought better gear. <laughs> you know, it's literally the same character that you are playing, that they are playing as well. And the reason why it's important to note this is that in the grand scheme of things, if you really want to approach fighting games from a way that you can get yourself to grow and learn, and you know, these I, I'm going to start talking about all my fighting game philosophies and you'll see why I gear my philosophies when I teach people to this certain way. You know, um... When you're playing fighting games, um, God, I lost my point. I lost my point trying to explain that. So, um, so obviously the character they're using is the same as the other person is using. <laughs> Shoot, where did my ADHD brains, ladies and gentlemen, ADHD brains here? I, my brain went in different directions. There's noise coming outside of my window. And so I was just like, what is that noise? What's that noise coming from? And then it just broke my brain really quick. Um, okay, that's right. This is what I was going to talk about here. Anytime anybody tells you that, or anytime you're playing fighting games and you feel like a tactic is really cheap or a tactic is really broken, and that it's so unfair, and that it's holding you back, etc., etc. What you have to do is, you know, if obviously a lot of you guys watching here probably watch a lot of fighting games, otherwise you wouldn't be here. And if you're trying to learn fighting games, you know, and found this video and are listening to this, you definitely watch fighting games. If you feel like a tactic is broken and cheap, and you watch top tournaments, and that tactic is not killing everybody. <laughs> 
there's a counter to it, right? This is, this is, this is one of the biggest philosophies that I try to teach in fighting games is that there is a way around just about anything that you will encounter in a fighting game. If not, then that thing will be dominating the entire scene. This has happened before. This has happened before, obviously, for example, Leroy, when he first dropped in Tekken 7, there were seven Leroys at Evo Top 8, right? Clearly, yes, you're right, Leroy is broken because everybody's winning with him, especially because Leroy was brand new and all these people basically just picked him up and they're all winning uh, with the character, right? So clearly we have an issue there. Tanya in MKX uh, and MKX was another one where she got six out of top eight. Uh, but when you're actually looking at most fighting games, if you're saying something like Guile Sonic Boom is impossible to fight and you watch top players play in a tournament and Guile is not, you know, five out of top eight or something like that. There's a counter to it. And so, yeah, Alien in, in Tekken, uh, I mean, in, sorry, in MK10 was another really, really awful one. Uh, Alien was killing everybody at one point in time. So the reason why I point this out is because when you approach fighting games, one of the things that will hold people back the most is the inability to understand this idea that everything that you encounter definitely has a way around it. And there is something to research and there is something to test and there is something to learn at this point on how to defeat it. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's hard because a lot of the times if you're not experienced enough, you won't have the experience to know what to research and what to look at and such. But, you know, knowing that nothing is infallible means that you should try to figure something out. And that philosophy alone is going to carry you very, very far in a fighting game, right? That, that philosophy that everything has a way to be countered or everything has a weakness is a good way to approach fighting games because... For example, if you're fighting against a JP uh, in Street Fighter VI and you're just like, I get zoned to death and his zoning is super broken. And then you watch top players play and you see that the JPs who are winning are very rarely zoning. <laughs> right? I know you don't know how to fight JP when you say... Uh, JP zoning is too strong because the thing that makes uh, JP, sorry, JP zoning is too strong. I know that the reason JP is too strong in Street Fighter 6, reason why he's top three is not because of his zoning. It is definitely not because of his zoning uh, that he's that strong. And so when you learn to fight, I mean, I even in my Snake Eyes versus Reynolds uh, analysis breakdown, I explained a lot of what you're supposed to look for, what the weaknesses of JP zoning is and how you're supposed to approach that. And uh, I've had people respond to me. They're like, dude, ever since I watched that video, I've actually been beating some JPs. I've actually started understanding the match uh, a lot more. So that's the kind of thing. If you're running into something and you don't, don't know how to fight it, you know, 
under even if you can't research it yourself, understanding that there is probably a way around it. Otherwise, it's broken, right? Otherwise, it's actually broken. Uh, will help you and carry you through a lot of things, you know. And then the other thing that's really important to understand about fighting games, not just that. I mean, uh, going back to that previous topic, you know, one of the other philosophies that I've always explained to everybody is a lot of times people will come up to me and they'll be like, how do I avoid this mix up? In Street Fighter V, it was a lot of it was people would come up to me and they would ask me, James, James, how do I get out of the corner? Like I get put in the corner and I die and I can't do anything because the corner is super scary in Street Fighter V. How do I escape the corner? And my response to them, my answer to them was almost always, you don't. <laughs> You're supposed to die in the corner. Like that's the philosophy of Street Fighter V and actually Street Fighter VI carries a lot of this over. You're supposed to be at a huge disadvantage in the corner. The game is designed that way, right? And if I can give you an answer on how to get out of the corner, the corner is not scary. <laughs> then there is absolutely no threat of the corner at all whatsoever. You have to understand that the games are designed in a certain way. There's a kind of a philosophy to go through and mix-ups have to be mix-ups. Like if you actually are like, okay, so the guy knocked me down in the corner and they're either going to attack, throw, or shimmy me. I don't know what to do. How do I stop this? If I can give you an answer to this, you literally, it's not a mix-up, <laughs> is the way that I always put it. If you have an answer on how to avoid an, a mix-up, it's not a mix-up. If I can give you one answer, it has to be that way. We have to make fighting games so that they are like Mega Man weaknesses. It has to be, there has to be some form of circle in there. It doesn't have to be exactly a circle. So for example, if I have four options, A, B, C, and D, maybe D loses to A and B, but only beats C. But that's really nice that you have that option, but A beats D, uh, beats B, B beats C, C beats A, and then there's an E that beats like D, C, and A, but loses to B, but there's an F that, you know, you have to have some sort of circular uh, answer there. Every option has to have a way to be defeated, and if it's not, that's when top players start complaining about things. A lot of people are complaining about perfect parries right now. Uh, perfect parries a lot of people are complaining about a lot of top players are complaining about because of the fact that there's really no inherent weakness to them the only thing keeping perfect parries from breaking the game is the fact that they are very difficult to pull off there's only a two frame window so even if I wanted to perfect parry every time I'm going to miss it the majority of the time so that it doesn't feel super broken but at the highest levels, if you think that an opponent is going to perfect parry, I mean, you have to try to get in for the throw, but sometimes you're not in the range for the throw. So now you're nerfing your own offense just so the opponent can press these parry buttons and have basically no repercussions behind them, right? And that's when we start to understand, uh, you know, when something is powerful because the answer to it is not particularly balanced, you know? 
the damage scale after a perfect parry, everything goes 50%, but the damage isn't the, isn't the thing. The, the, the thing is that you get Oki and positioning advantages off of perfect parry. That's usually the, the more scary thing about it. But all this to say, basically, is that a well-designed fighting game means that everything has a counter to it. So if you're losing to something in fighting games, you have to take the time to think about it and figure out why you're losing to it. What happens to a lot of times when you watch people play fighting games who are in the bronze, who are in the silver, who are in the gold ranks, when they play fighting games, they they continue to do the same thing over and over and over and over again. And the hardest part is they don't realize they're doing the same thing over and over and over again. I was watching Ultra David play against another player in Puerto Rico recently, and David was kind of blowing him up a little bit. He was getting on a big win streak, and the other guy was like, you know, what what am I doing wrong? And one of the things I pointed out to him was that he was using Manon, and every time he drive rush canceled, he would always go into a button. Always go into a button. Drive rush cancel button. Drive rush cancel button. And then button again afterwards. He would take advantage of his plus frames and then press another button. And it seems like he's doing the right thing. But the problem is he did that every single time. And so what happens is if you're David and you block this button and he drive rushes at you, you're not scared. You just block. Right? So you do a button, drive rush, button, button. And David's just going to block every single time. And I told the guy that. I was like, you're hitting a button every time. You got to drive rush into command throw or drive rush button into command throw. Or you got to mix it up somehow. Otherwise, you know, David is always going to feel completely confident and safe in this entire situation, right? And, you know, Flashy Flash mentions Kakaru, perfect pairing, angry bird like nothing that's something important to address over there because even Kakaru admitted that he doesn't know how that happened. That it was like, I just kind of got lucky. He's like, I didn't practice perfect pairing before go going to Gamer 8. It just, it just worked out. <laughs> and therein lies one of the things that people hate about perfect pairing because that two-frame window, it does feel kind of random to, to a lot of people. That's why a lot of top players, when they describe perfect parries, the first word they always use is random. Every top player talks about perfect. It's, it's hella random. It's completely random. Like that's what the, everybody says is because everybody's trying it and just whether or not you succeed 32 times in a set almost kind of feels random at times. But back to my, what I was talking about here is that, you know, when you're playing fighting games, you have to understand that everything has to keep changing. Every, the way to improve in fighting games, you have to keep changing. You have to keep adapting and you have to be willing to throw away things that aren't working, you know, or not permanently, by the way, because you may need to bring it back later on. But you have to be under you have to understand that all the stuff that you're doing in a fighting game has to always be changing constantly, constantly, constantly. If something is happening all the time and it's not working, or let's say, uh, you know, you jump at somebody and they keep anti-airing you out of the air, like Luke is just crouch-fiercing you all day, and you're just like, God, Luke's crouch-fierce is too good as an anti-air, it just means you're jumping too often, right? And that's one of the hardest things to, to, to process is, you know, that the mistake is not that this move is too good, it's that you're jumping a lot and the opponent doesn't have to think 
they don't have to worry about other avenues, right? They don't have to, they don't have to be concerned about anything, which kind of leads to the next part here, which is really, really important. And I know I talk about this a million times and I know this always sounds really, really repetitive whenever I say it, because it's like a big Doug kind of thing, but I always tell people one of the first things that I tell them is that fighting games are a two-player game, that you're playing against another human. We're also used to playing games like Dark Souls where, you know, you just kind of brute force it. You fight the skeleton and then you figure out that, you know, after the swing where he does one, two, then I can actually stab him back and avoid it. Or I've learned that if I bait out the leaping attack, I can run out behind him and stab him in the back you know, and do massive damage to him and stuff like that. The most important thing to learn is that you're fighting against a human being and that they're having all the same issues you are. They're having all the same problems you are. And they have to make all the same decisions that you are making as well. And this comes on both sides of things. So that means a lot of times your opponent's not going to remain being patternized to do the same thing over and over again you can't count on you can't count on the skeleton jumping at you so you could run behind him and stab him on the back because you're fighting a human the human can do whatever he wants he may break pattern he may do something different every once in a while so now you can't just rely on you know hoping that the opponent does something that you can punish but the other side of it is that the opponent is fallible that they have weaknesses themselves. Like I said, if you're jumping at a Luke player and he's punching you out of the air every single time, you have to realize that he's a human. And the reason why he's anti-airing you all the time is because you're making your jumps obvious. And so one of the things you start to learn now is, okay, well, if he's thinking about jumping me jumping all the time, maybe now I can drive rush in from the front. Or if you have no drivers, maybe I can dash in. Maybe I can use my super long range launchy move that goes at him, that's safe on block from non-Street Fighter games, for example. And this is what you have to understand. You can flummox your opponent, but you're not going to flummox your opponent if you spend the entire time just going, I'm going to do what I do against everybody that I play against. I'm just going to do my pattern, my offense that I feel is strong. The reason why I tell people it's a two-player game because you have to spend the majority of your faculties, you have to spend the majority of your brain power reading what your opponent is trying to do or what they're thinking or what their game plan is. A lot of the problems that you see from beginners is that they just play what they think is going to work. Thus, they are playing a one-player game. You're just doing one thing and trying stuff like you would fighting a boss in Devil May Cry or fighting a boss in the Double Dragon remake, for example. You know, you're just trying your thing. And it's... and. A lot of times it's not going to work. <laughs> so in order to improve yourself at fighting games, if you do feel like you suck at fighting games, and if you do feel like you're having trouble getting better at fighting games, these are very important philosophies to understand, to remember that 
everything in the game has a problem to be solved. And while that means you might have to go to training mode and a lot of people don't like going to training mode or they don't understand how to use training mode, but the problem solving is part of the fun. Okay, that's one thing that you are going to have to learn is you're going to have to learn how to enjoy the problem solving. You know, I have sat here and, you know, I have fought against Hondas early on and all they did was butt slam me. And I was like, I don't know what to do. So, like, I actually went into training mode and, you know, when I find a solution, I'm like, oh, sick. I can't wait to do this to somebody. You know, like, that's kind of the thing that you have to have. You have to be excited about finding out the solution. If you can't find a solution, go ask. Like, seriously, just go on Twitter and ask some of your favorite players who are uh, really good at certain characters, you know, go find a jury player and go, how do I stop Honda butt slam, you know, or or go to Mena RD and be like, hey, can you help me with a Blanca matchup? You might not get a response. These guys are busy, etc., cetera, et cetera, But you can find the right people. Someone like Wolfgang, for example, will be more than happy to give you tips on Blanca. You know, I'll be happy to give you tips on whoever I can, right? So if you just ask me pointed questions like that, I'll even do research. Someone, I don't even use Chun-Li. And someone was like, hey, James, I can't get the stomp, stomp, fierce, fierce combo consistently with Chun-Li. What am I doing wrong? I didn't know the answer, but then I went and actually went to training mode and I figured out the answer. And ever since I've said the answer, everyone's like, oh my God, I can do it so much easier now. Thanks, James. And the answer is after the second stomp, hit fierce like you're chaining into it. Don't wait. It's stomp, stomp, fierce, fierce. Stomp, stomp, fierce, fierce. Do not put a delay between the stomp and the second fierce and the first fierce. Do it as fast as you can and you will land it more consistently. So uh, again, a lot of people out there are willing to give help, willing to give examples. The other thing you can do is just go watch matches. Go watch matches and see how other people handle the situation. You may find some situations where the pro player doesn't handle it. And maybe that situation is bad. So for example, as a Kami player, I can't find a consistent solution to stop Honda head, to stop Honda butt slam. I really can't. <laughs> It's really hard to stop that move when you're when you're Cami. So I've learned little small things or maybe ways to prevent Honda from getting into that position to be able to try to butt slap me in the first place. So you learn to play around it a little bit. And so, you know, that's the thing is you're going to have to take the time to actually learn. And like I said, some people hate training mode and stuff, but you have to find the enjoyment of finding the solution because again, unless everybody's using it and everybody is winning with it, it is not broken and there's an answer to it. There is an answer to it. And that is an important philosophy to have. And again, even if there is like, I used to have this argument with my brother. I would be like, this character can't beat this character. And my brother would be like, well, you could do this. And I'd be like, but then you could just do this. And he'd be like, well, then you could do this. He's like, but then you would just do this. And then he's like, well, then you use this option, but then you could just do this. So basically I've defeated myself already. Like this, this, this is an impossible matchup. But again, you're fighting a human being. The other person's not gonna have the right answer every single time to every single one of your options. Sure, he has an answer to every single option you have, but guess what? You have an answer to every single option they have too. And if you don't, that's a bad matchup. <laughs> That's a bad matchup. When we talk about bad matchups in fighting games, what's a bad matchup? He has more answers to your 
your uh, actions than you do towards theirs. That's it. That's how you. That's how you boil a bad matchup down into the easiest way to explain it. Uh, Absolutely, right there. And so uh, again, that's when you go start to go do research, right? If you find out, okay, this is a bad matchup. Okay, I I'm happy to fight. I mean, like literally, I went on Twitter recently, and I was like, I'm using Jury, and I I mean, I'm using Aki, and I got blown up by this Blanca. Like, I don't know what to do. And I had more than one Aki player come back and go, man, that that matchup sucks. And then I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> cool it's not just me but see i didn't believe i refused to tell myself that was a bad matchup right away because i was like maybe there are ways for me to solve the problems that i am losing to but then other people were like yeah that's a bad matchup and i was like okay (laughs) all right cool and there i understand now if i play that matchup it's gonna be a little bit more of a struggle right and so again this is the kind of thing that you have to do with fighting games. You have to adapt. You have to keep going. And again, this is for people who obviously have the time and have the mentality and have the drive and have the spirit to want to learn, but they just can't seem to get better. I already talked at the very beginning of this episode, if you missed it, you know, clearly there's a lot of people with more important things to do in their life than to sit there in training mode for an hour trying to stop Honda's butt slam with Cami. Okay, like clearly... There are more important things in the world that you have to take care of. But for those people who are striving to become strong in fighting games, this is the one thing that you have to understand. And so a lot of players out there, they're not like an ending walker. Ending walker is not good at fighting games because he's born with an innate talent. Ending Walker is good at fighting games because when he first started playing him, he's already approaching it from a problem-solving standpoint. He's already understanding the philosophy behind it. He knows that if he's losing to something, he can find a way to beat it or he can has to adapt. Or if opponent is like, I, I could play a great matchup for my character and end up losing against someone who's just smarter than me. And when you do that, then you're like, okay, well, what's he doing to trick me? Or how is he hiding this? Or well, how is he outguessing me all the time? One of my biggest light bulb moments in fighting games was I was fighting a, a bison player in Street Fighter Alpha 2 with Birdie. And all he kept doing was Devil's Reverse in the corner. And I couldn't figure out how to beat it. I had no idea how to beat it. And then I finally thought of one and then the guy stopped doing it. And I was like, why did he stop doing it? So I can't actually beat it. Well, he actually was able to read that I figured something out because my behavior in the game changed. I stopped trying to poke or be desperate. He just noticed that all of a sudden it looked like I was waiting for something. So as soon as he saw that, he changed the way that he played. Again, you don't have to... like. It's about reading people and understanding human nature. And as I was walking home, I was like, why did he stop? I'm so mad. And then I was just like... Holy crap, he could tell when I figured it out. He could tell when I figured it out. He made me do what he wanted me to do. And that was one of the biggest turning moments of fighting games for me in my entire life. Because at that point in time, I realized so much of fighting games is more about the psychology of fighting against your opponent. It's not about the matchup. I used to be all about this counters this and this character beats this character because you can do this and da 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 da. And at that moment, I was like, it's not necessarily about the character matchup. It's, It's about the human matchup. And again, when you fight somebody else online, 
it's easy to just see them as a faceless AI in, in a machine. And so you don't adapt. You, you don't see them as human. You keep doing the same patterns and falling for the same tricks. But that's, again, why I tell people, keep in mind it's a two-player game. Because that allows you to understand that the other person is going through whatever you're going through. If you're fighting them in ranked and you're in bronze and they're in bronze, they're in bronze, right? Unless they're a Smurf account. <laughs> Unless they're a Smurf account, which does happen, uh, they're going through the same struggles as you. So if they're beating you up and you're both in silver, they're at the same skill level you are, which means that their mental ability to adapt and stuff like that are kind of at the same levels you are, you are at right now. So you can get to them the same way they can get to you. You just have to understand that you're fighting against somebody that you can break basically is uh is how to look at it so anyways i don't want to sound like i'm repeating myself here so i don't know if anybody in the chat over here just lets me know was this useful like was this discussion here eye-opening to anybody did this actually just kind of make anybody go hmm and think about how they want to approach things differently in fighting games because uh you're gonna run into that struggle you're gonna go online and you're going to get beat up again, even after listening to this. And you're going to try to adjust and think you're adjusting. And maybe you're not adjusting <laughs> because it's, it's hard. It's hard. That's the other thing, too. I always tell everybody this is very difficult. Benkatsu7 uh, <laughs> says, I'm not going to lie. It felt like you were talking about me the whole time. Yeah. And, and again, this is one of the scariest things about fighting games is like as soon as people. I mean, the other story that I always like to tell somebody, right? Uh, there's two parts to this story. Uh, I was fighting against uh, my friend, and I'm better than he was. This was during Alpha 1. And I told him, I've told this story many times on stream, I was like, you do realize every time I jump backwards, you jump at me, right? Because I was using a character with a fireball. So every time he, I jump backwards, a lot of people jump backwards and throw fireball. It's a pattern that you learn from people because they're like, I want to build distance. So I want to throw fireballs at you from a screen away. So they jump backwards and then they throw a fireball. So it's something very common. And so every time I jump backwards, my friend would just jump at me every single time because he had learned that pattern. And I would jump backwards, not do anything. He would jump and I would anti-air him. And I just looked at him. I was like, you do realize that you uh, jump at me every time I jump backwards, right? He's like, no, I don't. It's like, I'm not doing that every time. I'm like, yes, you are. He's like, no, I'm not. And so the next we started playing again and I jumped backwards. And right when I landed, I said, jump. And after I said jump, he was, oh, my God. And he walked and jumped at me. Like during the I said it before he jumped. <laughs> And he still walked and jumped and yelled, oh, my God, like before he jumped because he was like, what the hell? Like his hands like just did it. <laughs> and he was like, what the hell? <laughs> right. Uh, same thing happened to me when I played against Justin in Street Fighter 4. Uh, every time he did focus attack and I blocked it afterwards, I would backdash every single time. And he's like, you do realize you backdash every time you block a focus attack, right? And I was like, I do? <laughs> and uh, sure enough, as we kept playing, I was like, holy crap, I want to backdash every single time. You know, it's like everybody runs into these patterns and it's very hard to spot. And uh, getting good is going to be learning how to break a lot of those patterns. You know, uh, one of the interesting things about watching me play ranked with Lucia on Street Fighter V was there was a lot of me 
trying to psychoanalyze myself. I was like, I can't do this. I'm having trouble with this. Oh my God. And I kept trying to do all this stuff. But the thing, important thing is I kept trying things. I was like, today I'm going to try a lot more run cancel stuff. I'm just going to be brave because I know I had that same problem I had when I argued with my brother. I know if I'm Lucia and I do a run cancel, I'm like minus five or something like that. And it's so easy to kill me. But again, I had to bury into my head. I'm fighting a human. They might not not be ready for my run cancel and so I just started putting more run cancels into my game I had to play braver and anticipate the fact that if I mix between fierce into run cancel or fierce into fireball or fierce into burn kick or whatever that the opponent wouldn't be able to react to my run cancel sometimes they did and I got punished for it but I actually got in on people a lot more often by using the run cancel and it was me trying to psychoanalyze myself and break a lot of the things that I'm habituated to. I play very safely, so when someone jumps at me, I tend to block instead of try to anti-air because I can block and at least try to live. But, you know, if I mess up my anti-air, I eat a jump attack. So I'm scared, so I'm going to block instead of anti-air. You know, it's just that kind of mentality. But like I said, you have to look deep within yourself. You have to psychoanalyze yourself. And you just have to be willing to change. And again, it's hard to notice the things that you're doing as a pattern. So rewatch some of your matches. See where you're taking damage and see how you're taking damage most often. Uh, that helps a lot. Uh, Orchid actually says limiting your options help you learn early on. Yeah, even games like League of Legends do that on purpose, right? As you start with levels, you don't have like the teleport move. What was it? Flash, I think it was, until you get to level 12, I think it is. Uh, they don't give you some things until you get to certain levels. We don't have that uh, ability in fighting games, so that's why I impose on a lot of people just to start with certain pet moves and then learn other things as you uh, keep going, basically. So that's one of the most uh, Im important things uh, to... to <laughs> yeah, not psychomantis, <laughs> psychoanalyze. Uh, yo, how do you cross-cut? Uh, crosscut, see, like, it's interesting, like, for example, like, this is an interesting question, like, Ender asks, how do you crosscut, right? Well, the answer to how do you crosscut is understanding the game engine, is understanding the game engine, right? How do you DP? It's forward, down, down, forward, plus punch, right? And so the way cross-cutting works is that when someone jumps over you, you hit forward, and then you go to down. Guess what down is when the opponent jumps over you? Guess what down is? Down is down. Down is down. Down will never get crossed up, right? So if someone's jumping at you, what you learn to practice is hit forward, go to down. When the opponent crosses over you, and then you hit down back, but now because the opponent crosses over you, now that counts as down forward. <laughs> so now you basically you roll the controller from forward to down back, timing it so that you're at down when the opponent crosses you over. So that when you go the when you hit down back, it's now down forward and hit the punch. And you actually did forward, down, down forward, and you'll DP the other direction. So that's basically what a cross cut is. Uh, that's how you do a cross cut. And yeah, people can explain it. People in the chat are like saying, just do forward, down, forward, down, down, back, plus button or six, two, one. But once you understand the engine reasons for it, it makes a lot more sense. And now it's easier to practice. Like it's great when someone tells you how to do something, but it's better when they tell you why it works. <laughs> uh, yes, there is a difference between cross cut and autocorrect.
Louis B. asks what a cross uh, autocorrect is. Autocorrect is basically, so there's a window after you finish your input that you can hit a button and it'll still come out. So I can actually do forward, down, down, forward, wait, 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 and then hit a button like after 10 frames, right? There's just like a 10 frame window before you, between you finish your move and you hit a button that the move will still come out. The game will actually go and check back like the last 20 frames and be like, did you input a special move in there when you, so I know whether this button counts as a special move or if it counts as just a, as, as a normal move, right? So it exhaustively searches like the last 20 frames. Well, if I actually just do a DP motion, finish it before you go over me and then wait till you go over me and then press the button, the game will auto-correct me. It'll still register as a DP because I did the motion <laughs> It's still registered forward, down, down, forward. But after you cross over, you hit the button, it's going to go, okay, so I'll DP. But wait, you're facing the other way. I'm going to DP. So that's an autocorrect right there. So that's the autocorrect. Uh, Crosscut is literally uh, finishing the DP by going the other direction. Um, <laughs> I explained it as simply, but it still sounded complicated to me. Yeah. <laughs> That's another problem too. I, 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 every, and everybody else out there suffers from genius teacher syndrome where I'll say something. I'm like, it's so simple. And then everybody else is like, you know what? I don't even, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand. <laughs> so yeah. Um, uh, that's basically the idea, but you know, uh, like I said, I'm here to answer questions. So that kind of goes along with this here. If you are having trouble, seek people out. There's a lot of people out there who like to answer questions. Zaffarino, great teacher out there. Uh, Automatic, great teacher out there. Myself, great teacher out there. Sajam, one of the absolute best teachers out there. there. Brian F., great teacher. So if you try to ask someone like Punk or Mena RD and they're too busy to answer you or they probably just get inundated with messages all day, there's a lot of teachers out there in the FGC. You know, go find the teachers, ask them the questions, and a lot of them will help, honestly. Uh, honestly, a lot of them will help. So, uh, <laughs> my circuits professor was that way. He didn't realize he sucked in teaching until the highest score on his first test was 39. <laughs> One of the most famous stories that I always like to tell is I was in a, uh, God, what was it? <sighs> I don't even remember what the math class was called, but it was like matrices. It was like integrated matrix. I don't know what it was, but it was something that I'm never going to use in my entire life. And it was really complicated. And I was looking at the problem on the homework and he was taking questions from homework and asking, uh, uh, like, if you need help, give me your problem and I will tell you the answer. So I was like, raise my hand. And I was like, I don't understand how to do this problem over here. So he was like, okay. So he drew the problem onto the chalkboard and he looked at it and he's like, well, looking at it, it obviously equals zero. All right, next question. <laughs> I was like, what the, f what just happened? <laughs> I was like, what the, what the fuck, what, what just happened? <laughs> oh man. And I never found out how to do it. Never found out how to do it. All right, Ender, I'll see you later. <laughs>
So yeah, uh, we have to be careful about that as well. So don't don't be afraid. And and you know, I try my best to understand that a lot when I teach people. So I will try my best to help you out there. Um, um, uh, you know, learn things and I will slow down to explain them slower for you if you need the help, basically. So, uh, <sighs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. Uh, I think that'll be it here for why do I suck at fighting games? I, I mean, again, Long discussion here, but maybe this might be exactly what some people need to hear about, to, to hear uh, from somebody trying to explain them and teach them how to get better at fighting games. So if you have found this video just randomly because you're like, why do I suck at fighting games? And, and, and you just run across this video. Hopefully me rambling for like 40 minutes, 50 minutes over here actually helped you and actually did uh, help you become a stronger player. So... Uh, in any case, uh, if you did catch us on YouTube, please, if you have any other questions, leave some comments below. Be don't forget to like and subscribe as well. Also, check me out on my uh, channel, twitch.tv slash jchenzor. That's where I play and teach a lot of the times. If you enjoy these talk shows and want to catch this live, that will be on twitch.tv slash ultrachentv. Confusing? Yes. Long story why that happened. <laughs> But uh, hopefully uh, you did enjoy this. You d uh, you appreciated this video. And thank you guys for watching. For those of you here on Twitch, I'll be getting into these sections over here, these topics as well. Uh, for the YouTube viewers, I just look for these on YouTube. They will pop up a little bit later on as well. But as for now, thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for listening. Don't go anywhere, Twitch users. But for those of you here on YouTube, the day that this podcast graced your ears was the most important day of your life. But for me... It was Tuesday. Everybody, welcome to It Was Tuesday, and in fact, it was also Nathan Day. Hi, Nathan. How are you doing here? Yeah, I guess we're going to have a lot of cat guests here on stream today. Welcome, everybody. I just wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, I mean, last week, uh, I definitely talked a little bit about the advantages of trying to have Capcom Pro Tour go to offline again. And it was just so happens, you know, that I sat there and talked about it. And then, and then this last weekend was Blink uh, Respawn in the Dominican Republic. Now, keep in mind that at one point in time, Capcom did announce that they wanted to run the finals in the DR. And uh, it would have been magical. But obviously the pandemic robbed us of that situation. I, there was one year that they announced it was going to be in France. And the pandemic robbed us of that but uh, look, uh, as someone who has actually been to Game Over in the Dominican Republic for an event uh, quite a few years ago, uh, man, if you ever want to 
be reinvigorated or reminded of why offline is basically like the greatest thing ever. Uh, the Dominican Republic is a great place to go because <laughs> I don't think I have ever been to an audience that feverish in my, I mean, you know, like whenever we watch tournaments and Kaba's there and he's loud and he's cheering for Mena and he's being really excited and hype and some people think he's weird or maybe he's too much or whatever, or, you know, he's being disrespect, dude, like that's just how it is. <laughs> like that's how excited they get. They don't have, and, and, and you know, it's not, it's just one of those things that they've been taught that they're, they have learned as they grow grew up and everything that it's it's good and it's complimentary and it's great to be loud and to be excited and to be proud and to be rooting for your guys and stuff and so you know when you go to the dr just imagine just a room full of people cheering and going nuts like kaba does at a lot of the events that we see here in, whenever they travel to the states and to give you an idea of what it's like it is feverish it is magical is absolutely one of the uh, greatest things. Hi, Nathan. It is one of the greatest experiences you'll ever have. And, you know, again, just kind of leaning towards why you should try to hit offline events and why offline events are so important. Because honestly, a lot of the negativity that you see on social media just isn't there when you get to a live event. It's, it's, it's so different. And you know, you, you see something like the Dominican Republic and when you're in it, it's impossible not to get caught up in it. It's why Evo is such a great experience as well, because Evo is an environment which basically everyone understands that the whole entire arena is there to cheer about fighting games. And so everybody feels like they are welcomed to get loud for character reveals. It feels like they're welcome to cheer for great moments in fighting games. And what it really is, is that, you know, it, it lets out the inhibitions. And in fact, even in the States, there was a counterculture between East Coast and West Coast for the longest of time. Whenever you were in the West Coast tournaments, a lot of the top eight audience would be like, oh, but when you're in the East Coast, it's just like everybody is just screaming and yelling. And that's why like MVC2 just like thrived in the East Coast because it was just like the giant world of trash talking, you know, even to the point where an introvert like Justin, you know, he had to learn how to trash talk and be really kind of cocky and arrogant because that's just kind of how the uh, environment led to. And, you know, even back then, as a West Coaster, I was always jealous of a lot of the East Coast energy. Man, like, we would always, I would travel to these East Coast events, and everyone's just going, yeah! and it's just like, this is so cool. And then we'd be on the West Coast tournaments, and a lot of times people would just be like, and it just wasn't the same, dude. It just wasn't the same. And so, you know, the offline events where you get to feel this kind of energy is just absolutely electric and it's wonderful. And, you know, I hope you guys got a chance to watch that Blink Respawn. And if you didn't, uh, go check out the archives. It is on uh, Blink Esports uh, RD. That is the Twitch channel, Blink Esports RD, no spaces. Uh, and watch some of the archives because you can hear the audience coming through the commentator mics. Like, you just hear them coming through the mics that uh, Logan and Jeremy and Vicious were using. And you just hear it. And it's, oh, it's just so magical. It just, 
it creates such a wonderful feeling. And uh, I want to read Adrian's comment. But it is being blocked by a cat right now. So if you don't mind, I'm going to turn and look this way at my uh, OBS and read. I'm Dominican and we do support our players. Most people do not realize the hardships Dominicans face on a daily basis. For most people here, daily life is a struggle. Imagine that you are trying to become successful in something so frivolous for most people in the world as video games. Yeah, see, that's just, this is the other thing too. I even said to Mena, like, shout out to Tempest Rob, by the way, co-goats in terms of photographers in esports. Uh, Tempest Rob and Vexeny are the two basically greatest uh, photographers. I'm not biased or anything. Uh, but he had some pictures of Mena RD after winning a top eight match and like the audience is just cheering. I mean, they're revering him like a god. You know, I've heard the stories of Mena RD just being in the passenger seat of a car and a motorcycle drives up next to them like on the freeway. And the guy on the motorcycle is like, yo, it's Mena RD. Oh, my God. Like, you know, he's a national hero there. And I said it to Mena RD in, in a tweet uh, from that picture. I was like, and I told Mena this at Evo as well. I told him that, like, Mena is the reason why I do this kind of thing for the fighting game community. You know, he's the, he's the exact story that, you know, I want to have possible you know, Arslan Ash from Pakistan is another one, right? Is another great example of this. Uh, 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 Varix from Senegal, you know, like we do this fighting game stuff because we don't discriminate. We really just don't. And like, it doesn't matter what your background is or who you are. Like you have the ability to become revered like a god in the fighting game community. And, you know, the fact that Mena RD has that kind of status and has given, you know, the people in the Dominican Republic something to cheer for, something to go crazy for like that is absolutely one of the best stories. And then, not only that, but Mena RD gives back so much, right? He sponsored his own team. He built a an esports center where they can gather and go play. You know, he spread the love back to the Dominican, the, 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 the Dominicans in DR. And, you know, a lot of people were saying that, you know, Mena RD, when he won his first Capcom Cup, he got, you know, $250,000. And he's like, dude, like, you cannot even imagine how much that money means in the Dominican Republic. Like 250,000 US dollars goes a lot farther in the Dominican Republic <laughs> than other places. And, you know, the fact that he gave so much back to the community says a lot about the type of character that Mena is. And, you know, yeah, that's why you get hype. That's why you get energetic. That's why it's amazing to see the kind of storylines that we have you know, in the fighting game community. And honestly, one of the best reasons to have these offline events. And yeah, it's hard because a lot of people aren't going to be able to travel to them. It's expensive. The cost of flights have only gone up during pandemic. Everything, the cost of everything has gone up during the pandemic and it's difficult. But if you can make it out to one of these things, I really recommend you do because it is an experience you won't forget. Uh, someone even wrote down on my YouTube, they were like, yo, I went to Evo last year just as a plan for a one-year trip. He was like, I just wanted to go to Evo one time. And he's like, and now I feel like I have to go every year. <laughs> 
So like, that's how magical it gets. I mean, I told, I tell people at evil all the time, Sunday is going to change your life. And uh, I remember after Sunday, I was walking through the casino and I ran into some people. They're like, yo, are you James Chan? Oh my God. And I just said to them, I was like, I tell, well, did you guys get Sunday seating? And they're like, hell yeah. And I said, look, I tell everybody that Sunday changes their lives. Did Sunday change their lives? And they were like, yes. <laughs> it's just, it's such a, uh, it's such a fun thing to do. And it's such a different environment. Social media is just, it, it brings out the worst of anything. <laughs> And especially the fighting game community, because it seems like everybody's mad. But, you know, uh, look, it's it's not how it is when you go live and in person. All these people are wonderful people. I've sat down and talked with men. I've had, you know, very, very, you know, like it was a dinner with Kaba one time. Where it was literally one person, me, David and Kaba. And just Kaba is just the sweetest, gentlest, like, such the nicest, most respectful human being that you'll ever meet, you know? I mean, that's just, that's just how it is, right? And, and, and having the ability to become someone, Kaba, beating Kakeru in Winner's Side, and the audience just absolutely exploded for him, you know, at Blink, at Blink Respawn. And you just, these, these situations don't happen without the fighting game community, you know, and, and keep in mind, too, this is not Capcom running to the Dominican Republic and running a tournament for them. This is they ran this tournament with wonderful production value in the Dominican Republic on their own. And they wouldn't have had a reason to do that were it not for players like Mena and Kaba. And because that they were able to do that, there was a reason and an impetus and a, a drive to create an event like this in the Dominican Republic. And seriously, it is, like I said, it was one of my favorite places to travel to for FGC because I have like literally me and David, when we were commentating at Game Over, sometimes we couldn't hear each other. Like we couldn't hear each other talk. It was that loud in there. And it was just seriously one of the greatest feelings ever, uh, honestly. So, I mean, yeah, of course, not every player is great. Some players are going to have egos or whatever. You're not going to have a great experience. Some events suck. You're going to go to an event that's not very good. <laughs> it happens every once in a while, and I really hope it doesn't happen to you. But, you know, go to the go to the established ones. Go to CEO. Go to Combo Breaker, right? Now that we've seen what Blink Respawn can do, or what Blink Esports can do with Respawn, go to next year's Respawn. You know, First Attack has been doing great in Puerto Rico forever. UFA is happening soon, and that's been an amazing event uh, in France for a long, long period of time. We have enough established events that you don't have to worry about heading to a bad one. Let's just put it that way. So, um, yeah, most people try their best to be respectful. For sure, Tombstone. For sure, Tombstone. Uh, we cannot, so Adrian continues and says, uh, we cannot thank Mena RD for what he did for us here. We can't, well, basically, uh, we can't thank him enough, I think is what Adrian is trying to say. Uh, Mena RD for what he did for us here. He opened the window of opportunity for all of us to dream about being successful in video games. Now even the government is supporting the FGC here because of what he achieved. Exactly. That is why we do what we do. That is why, well, that is why I do what I do, okay? That is why, because I want this to be like this. I want it so that if a player in Venezuela 
or from Brazil or from Chile goes to their visa, you know, offices and be like, hi, I want to travel to Evo. The office will be like, sick, good luck, <laughs> you know, because they want the winner to win. They want the player to win and be from their country because look what it can do, right? Uh, this is not the only, Mena RD is not the only story that I've heard this kind of thing from. Uh, other examples escape me right now, but I know that, oh, like Gamerbee, the year that Gamerbee didn't even win Evo, but he took out Justin Wong with Adon versus his Rufus. He went back home. There was news articles. They were literal news stations in the airport for when Gamerbee came home from Evo to Taiwan. And he had all these people there to welcome him. They gave him flowers. They did all these things. Like, it was wild. Like, that's the kind of thing that we are trying to accomplish here. In the, That's the things that I'm trying to accomplish here in the FGC. That's what we want to see. That is what we want to see. And that is, I mean, again, thanks to that, thanks to what we've been able to do in the FGC here, you know, a, a place like the Dominican Republic can have an event like Blink respawn and have that energy and have that opportunity and have that dream and just have that excitement and that pride as well and again you know uh, mena rd is the kind of human being who could accomplish so many different things in his life but he found the right one and now he is a national hero and receiving all the adulation and you know what he's still a very humble kid his speech at Capcom Cup last year was amazing, made me cry because he was really just talking about, you know, if you can dream big, you can do it kind of things. And like that is what the FGC is about to me. Again, no restrictions. We don't hold anyone back. If you can come and play, you can come and play. If you can win, you can win. You know, uh, players like Ricky Ortiz, for example, being a hero to every to so many people in the FGC. You know, these kind of opportunities, we try to make sure the doors are open for everyone. And because of that, someone like Mena RD is living his life to the fullest right now. And that is because of the fighting game community. Like, how sick is that? How sick is that, really? <laughs> and... um you know, talking about traveling, I do want to address one little funny question that RafTX asked on stream. He's like, what was your favorite place to eat in all the places that you've traveled to? If you do have a chance to travel to places like uh, the Dominican Republic or to Puerto Rico or France or, you know, uh, Japan, et cetera, et cetera. I will, I want to answer this one kind of generically, but to be honest with you, my favorite places to have eaten in a lot of the foreign places are a lot more of the uh, hole in the walls, actually. There's a lot of big famous place, fancy places that you can go to, but I feel like you can get fancy food in a lot of different places, right? Going to the hole in the walls actually, I feel like gives me more of an idea of what the country is about. You know, and, and, and sometimes it's really just kind of the best food that you can get. You know, uh, I forgot if it was in the Dominican Republic or in First Attack or in Puerto Rico. It might have been at DR when we were there for Game Over. But we went to like a food truck to get some arepas. And I've never had arepas before. And shh, 
that that stuff was amazing. It's just like little plantain tacos, almost you want to call it, like a little plantain bread with a bunch of meat in there, and the they've got the magic ketchup mayo sauce that you can just pour all over it, and it was just like it was amazing, dude. Like that's kind of some of the best food that you're gonna run into. Uh, Mono took us to a beach one time, and you know we had like authentic, you know the the, the fried uh, cod, like the cod patties, like the little cod cakes and stuff. You know I drank water straight out of a you know a pineapple <laughs> and honestly i've never actually done that until uh, i went to uh, the dominican republic i mean to, to first attack uh, in puerto rico and stuff so uh there's it's just a a, a lot of play yeah like, exactly if you go to taiwan don't go to ding taifong dude like obviously ding taifong is amazing and you know what it's great here too the taiwan one is probably better unless you're just like a super fan of ding taifong go eat ding taifong right but if you're not like you need to go out to there and like try the the little stands dude even though it like i it smells really bad and i've never had it but try the stinky tofu uh get the liang mian if you're in there in the summer in taiwan get the cold noodles dude they're so good i lived off of that stuff one summer in taiwan dude it was so good but yeah local street food that kind of stuff is uh uh is really cool so yeah, and, and as Adrian said, too, in the chat, you know, we are a welcoming country. Everyone is invited for Blink Respawn. Uh, you know, when we went to uh, Puerto Rico for first attack, again, I love it there because everybody is so friendly. Everybody is so welcoming, you know, and all they want to do is just make sure you enjoy Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic. And I'll tell you right now, these these countries and provinces, when you go to these places and you tell them how much you enjoy their country and their hospitality and their food like you just see the pride you see their you see their faces light up you know it's it, it there is this deep pride in their region in their people in their culture and when they see foreign people coming out here and you tell them how much you actually love a lot of the stuff that you know the hospitality you show them, you tell them that how beautiful, I mean, Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico have been two of the absolute most beautiful places that I have visited. Island, island countries slash provinces, you know, they're so beautiful there and it's just wonderful. And, you know, you can sense the local pride when you tell them how much you enjoy everything that you see, that you love the culture, that you love the people, that you love the food and you love the atmosphere because that's how much it means to them. It's tough because especially if you come from someplace like the States, like it's hard to understand that kind of feeling. But when you travel and you go to a place like that and you actually see that and you actually get a taste of what it's like and, you know, understanding, like Adrian says, where a lot of that also comes from struggle as well. You know, a lot of that pride comes from struggle. And so, you know, it's, oh, man, like I'm getting emotional just thinking about it, you know, just just how much it means to a lot of these places to have people visit and, and for them to make sure that you have such a good time. These people are 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 wonderful people. I know recently I did a part on my stream where I just talked about how amazing Puerto Rico is. I mean, I haven't been to the DR recently, but my memories from being there 
are fantastic. And uh, I, like I said, I just had such a great time. That was when I had the nice little dinner with Kaba as well that one time. And it was it was so cool to listen to him talk about what his plans were, what his goals were, what what the fighting game community meant to him in like kind of a personal private environment and stuff. And it's just, it's full of wonderful people, man. Like when you get to travel and you get to see, it's like when we went to Kuwait and you get to see all the gaming nerds in Kuwait and stuff like that. And, you know, it doesn't matter where you go. When you find out that everybody is the same, you know, it really opens your eyes to what the world is about, you know, that... It doesn't matter what country you go to, you know, like, <laughs> you know, the geek culture is geek culture, man. And everybody is passionate about the same things. We all love the same shit. And it's just it just opens your eyes on on how how amazing and how not different we are from everybody else, dude. Like we're all trying to do the same stuff, man. We're all trying to have the same fun. So it's just, I, you know, one of the things that people have always asked me, like, you know, what is your favorite thing about being a commentator in the fighting game community? And that's the answer right there. Having been able to travel to all sorts of crazy places, including the super, super, super small town in Spain that I almost got lost trying to get to, having been rescued by being picked up at a train station that I wasn't supposed to be at. Uh, by the guys who currently maintain uh, uh, Fight Cade. <laughs> and uh, they drove me to the right place. And uh, it was such a wonderful experience there, too. You know, it's you get to see a lot of things, and it's, it's great. I recommend it for everybody, honestly. So, uh, yeah, Puerto Rico is amazing. I, 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 Puerto Rico is absolutely beautiful I, to be fair to the dominican republic i've been to puerto rico like seven times already so i have many many fond memories and i can't wait to go back to dominican republic one of these days hopefully hey hey you know what uh adrian if you have the ability to let anybody know let people at blink know i would love to go to respawn 2024 <laughs> uh Yep, when you gather for a common passion, you realize how synthetic and political all these borders are. We're all human beings, regardless of what banner and tribe we were born into. I couldn't have said it better myself, Shay. And so I'll end this section on that comment right there. Again, uh, when you gather for a common passion, you realize how synthetic and political all these borders are. We're all human beings regardless of what banner or what tribe we were born into. Absolutely. So thank you guys for tuning in and watching. And uh, like I said, I'll be discussing a, cu a couple of these other things uh, later on. So take a check out those for YouTube uh, coming up. But again, you know, I speak from a very passionate place. I speak from a very open and vulnerable and emotional spot. So, you know, I hope you guys appreciate that. I hope you guys do enjoy these kind of conversations that I have and so uh, if you guys enjoy that, please like and subscribe. <laughs> you, you won't have a shortage of this kind of conversation from me. Uh, <laughs> so uh, again, uh, thank you guys for tuning in. For those of you here on Twitch, I'll be going over these kind of things uh, next. I'll be talking about Reina a little bit. And then we'll be doing a little bit of drive rush science uh, if I have some time. Because I just want to get to the bottom of the eating inputs thing and, and really put that thing to bed kind of in a way. So, 
but thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for tuning in. And for those of you here on YouTube, uh, the day that this podcast graced your ears was the most important day of your life. But for me, it was Tuesday. James Chen and of course Nathan the cat. Oh, Nathan the cat. Sorry, I had to get him on the start of every episode from this week. Uh, but today we are actually going to talk all about drive rushes in Street Fighter 6 because what's interesting is last week I did a, a YouTube video on uh, drive on things to improve in Street Fighter 6 and how I would fix them. And uh, one of the things I said is obviously they got to fix the drive, the, the inputs being eaten by drive rushes because I had experienced similar things myself with uh, inputs being uh, eaten by drive rushes. The interesting thing was a lot of people actually started responding in the YouTube comments. They're like, uh, drive rushes don't eat your inputs, dude. And then a, a lot of people started to link me to a video by Big Nasty Kale. Uh, let me pull that video up for you guys, so you guys, so uh, you guys can actually see where that is. Let's see here, YouTube.com. Uh, Big Nasty Kale Drive Rush. Here we go. So, uh, I totally spelled that wrong. Oh my God. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh. I All right. better help here. Uh, if you guys actually check this out, this is again on Big Nasty Kale's channel over here. Wait, I'm going to get these ads out of the way for you guys. But if you actually look here, this is, uh, this is his channel name over here. So if you just actually look up Big Nasty Kale, as you can see here. Uh, let me zoom it in for you guys. There it is. B-I-G-N-A-S-T-Y-K-A-I-L. And he has a video called Street Fighter 6 is not eating your inputs. And so I started watching this a little bit and, listen, you know, and listening to a lot of the stuff that he was saying over here. And uh, then I went to Twitter and started talking about this. I was like, hey, does anybody actually have like actual emphatic proof that drive rushes are eating your inputs because I cannot replicate it. I went into training mode and I could not replicate the drive rushes eating any inputs. And most people's evidence was anecdotal. Oh yeah, put the link in the chat. Absolutely, Sad Geef. Please, please, please. Um, so uh, I started to do some experimentation. And uh, there is, in fact, and to clear this all up, and again, shout outs to Big Nasty Kale because he's done this already. Please watch his video for a lot more uh, explanation here. But I'm going to show you guys here in, uh, as well. 
So what I'm gonna do here is I'm actually gonna record Ken to neutral jump into drive rush like this, right? So now I have Ken neutral jump into drive rush here. Now, according to uh, what a lot of people have said is that this eats your inputs. So there should be a timing at which if I hit a button, it will not register. And people say it happens when Ken, uh, when you start the drive rush and the game freezes. But you can clearly see me hitting the button during the freeze because Kimberly hasn't moved before I've hit the button. But you can also see that clearly, Kim, okay, so that was a little too early. That was a little too early. Right there, clearly I'm hitting the button during the drive rush freeze and my button is still coming out. And I have sat here for like 30 minutes doing this with all sorts of different timings, much later, much earlier. And I have tried every single timing humanly imaginable and there is no inputs being eaten whatsoever at all. And it has nothing to do with hurt box. Nothing to do with hurt boxes, uh, suggested in the chat over here. And so, yeah, so I started asking that exact same question, Investigation Cone. It says maybe the, it's only for online play or also for in-person. There might be an element of this that it only happens online, that the freeze and the rollback or the netcode or something syncing up isn't syncing up properly. That I cannot tell you right now. But for the most part, Drive Rush isn't eating your input. So what's the complaint here? What is the issue here? Well... The, the, the concern here is actually that there is multiple levels to this. One, Drive Rush does eat one input, and that is jump. So if I actually hit up, let's see, that was before. There it is. You see the up there. You literally see up at the top left corner of the screen there. And sure enough, Kimberly did not jump. So up can be eaten. And so a lot of people have said they have had their jump input eaten by a drive rush. And that is definitely a thing. That is definitely a thing. So what happens is that the game registers certain things during the drive rush and will play them out after the, drive, after the freeze ends. But up is not one of them. <laughs> Up is not one of them. So this is something that for sure, 100% Capcom needs to fix. Now, I don't know if I can do it fast enough, if I can actually get the dash to not come out. But the thing is, dashes in general are bufferable. So I think it, the, the window after you input it will last long enough that it'll always get outside of the uh, freeze window of drive rushes. I'd need a programmable controller or something like that. Up forward is also not gonna work. As you can see, I just did up forward and it didn't work. <laughs> uh, yeah, it'd be easier to test dash on leverless for sure, for sure. Uh, so it's hard for me to test here, but regardless, it is very clear that that is being eaten, that the up is being eaten by drive rush. So that is 100% something that needs to be fixed and we need to talk to Capcom about that. Now, is there other ways that your inputs are getting eaten? Absolutely 100%, but it is not the way that you think it is. 
What I have discovered now is that during the drive rush freeze, you have the capability of inputting multiple things before the freeze ends. <laughs> and so what's happening here is since that freeze doesn't actually count as a measurement of time. So watch, I'm gonna hit heavy kick. And what you'll actually see here, like if I can, if you can actually, maybe if I put this in slow motion over here, this will be a little bit easier to see. But look at the frame meter on the screen. Watch the frame meter. You see how the drive rush freeze literally stops the frame bar from moving. The drive rush meter absolutely stops the frame meter from moving. You see that? And that is because it doesn't count as actual time in the game. The freeze is literally no time at all. It doesn't exist. But there is a freeze there. And what the game is doing is it's registering inputs except for jump during that freeze. And what it tries to do is go, oh, I registered an input. I will play it as soon as the freeze ends, right? So during the freeze, if I hit medium kick, Oops, too early, too early. There we go. So I hit it in the freeze and the medium kick comes out. Now I'm gonna show you another experiment. I'm going to plink medium kick into heavy kick really fast like this. And the heavy kick came out. Interesting, interesting. My, I hit medium kick first, as you saw on the inputs. I clearly hit medium kick first in the inputs, but heavy kick is coming out. What does this mean? <laughs> what does this mean? My initial thought was that if you input two things at the same time during the drive rush freeze, it just picks the second one. So in other words, my standing medium kick got eaten. Here's a worse situation. Let's say I try to do standing medium kick into run to check the drive rush, but I input it so fast. Whoops. And you see what happens there. I've hit, I, I input it so fast. I've input standing medium kick, run medium kick so quickly that it all fit into the drive rush freeze. So now, the second one came out and erased my standing medium kick. I've lost my standing medium kick completely. My input got eaten. So here is evidence of input getting eaten. So what's happening is that the game is literally recording, oh, you press standing medium kick during the freeze, but now you input a quarter circle forward medium kick during the freeze. I have to pick one of them which one am I gonna do? I'll make her run. And so originally, like if I do that normally, that just means standing medium kick into run, no problem, right? But in that situation, my standing medium kick got eaten. You can clearly see there is a standing medium kick input here somewhere, but it got eaten. So my original thought was that they were just picking whatever comes last and doing that. That is also false, as I have learned. What they're actually doing is that this game has an input priority system. 
if you input multiple things at the same time, the game picks one of them to win. There is an input priority system. For example, quarter circle forward, quarter circle forward plus punch is a super. Quarter circle forward plus two punches is an OD. So what will quarter circle forward, quarter circle forward plus two punches be? Whoops. Oh God, dude, I'm using Kimberly bad. Okay, let me do it with uh, kicks instead because Kimberly has down down. That throws so many things off for a loop because that thing has a big priority as well. So let me actually do quarter circle forward plus kicks for you guys instead. So two quarter circle forward plus kick is a super and then quarter circle forward plus two kicks is actually EX run. If I do both of them at the same time, as you can actually see down here is down, down, forward, forward, down, down, forward, forward, and two kicks, the OD run comes out. Basically what this means is that I've input two moves at the same time, the game just picks one. They just pick one. And uh, in Street Fighter VI's case, and I hate this, I don't know why, OD moves have a higher priority than supers. If you've ever tried to link a super uh, in your combo, if you ever tried to link a super, like this, you try to link a super to some degree like this, and then you piano it. So I pianoed it there, but because at some point in time I hit two kicks, it's like, you know what? You actually wanted to do OD. And so it'll make you do OD run like you just saw there instead of super. This is why you never piano your supers in this game. You never piano your supers in this game. Only use one button to do your supers because if you ever piano it, you might come out with an OD because it has a higher priority. Here's another example. If I actually do quarter circle forward, quarter circle back, and hit punch really fast, if I can do that, she teleports. So in other words, the quarter circle back, which is the teleport, takes priority over quarter circle forward. If I do quarter circle back, quarter circle forward really fast, the teleport comes out. The teleport in the input priority system has a higher priority than her elbow, than her vagabond edge. The teleport just has a higher priority in their priority tier list for every character. Every character just has a list that says which move actually has a higher priority. So when the drive rush freeze happens, it just picks the move with the higher priority. When I'm plinking medium kick to heavy kick, the medium kick gets ignored and the heavy kick comes out. But if I do the opposite and plink from medium kick to light kick, the medium kick still comes out. There is no timing in which the light kick will ever come out. In other words, because the medium kick actually has a higher priority than the light kick, if both are input during the drive rush freeze, the one with the higher input priority comes out. 
So what happens, and like I said, please watch Big Nasty Kale's video. A lot of the times the drive rush, the reason why it messes up our combos or it messes up a lot of stuff is because it adds those few frames of delay. So in other words, if I'm sitting over here and I go strong, strong, and I go strong, 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 and I do this timing every time and I go strong, strong, the freeze is obviously gonna throw off my timing. That same timing that I hit strong, strong is not gonna work because the drive rush literally extends time for nine or 10 frames, which throws off our timing. This is where most people are seeing their inputs eaten. Their inputs aren't actually being eaten. It's just that it's freezing you in the middle of recovery longer. So you hit the button too early before you actually recover out of that move. So it doesn't come out again. Please watch Big Nasty Kale's video. He has plenty of examples of that in his video over there. So this is the situation that we have with drive rush inputs being eaten. It's one, jump legit gets eaten. And two, inputting two things during the freeze forces the game to pick one with the higher priority. The reason why it's really, really important to discuss this and to point this out is because there's no solution to this. <laughs> Some people are like, Capcom better fix this. There's, there's no way to fix this. At least I haven't thought of one yet. I haven't thought of a good way to fix this yet. Because logically speaking, there's no way to fix this because you are literally killing nine frames of input from time. You'll, you're, you're killing this from time. And so like a lot of people have offered solutions to this, but there's no real way to do it. What it's doing right now is that it registers stuff during the, the, freeze, the freeze period. It registers stuff during the freeze period. And then whatever it chooses that has the highest priority will occur instantly as soon as the freeze ends. So it's basically just whatever it registers, it plays out right away. But as you can see here, there are situations where that can cause inputs to be eaten, like that stand medium kick into the run. So what are some solution, right? So some people have said, well, just record everything that happens during the freeze and play the whole sequence out afterwards. So why am I choosing standing medium kick or run? Why don't I just take standing medium kick run and play that whole sequence out immediately after the freeze? And you're like, wow, that's a great idea because that was my intention. So of course I want that to happen, right? Let's say I'm trying to do a super motion. <clears throat> and then I actually do like, uh, so basically in order for that to happen, right? For In order for that to happen, the game literally has to play out all the inputs on those exact frames afterwards. So in other words, it has to take priority of those inputs over anything that you input at the same time. Because if it's going to play out those inputs exactly as you input it during the freeze, what happens if right after the freeze I hit more stuff or I do more motions? What is supposed to win? What is supposed to win out? So Fufufu is saying that his head is spinning and he can't follow. During the input freeze, during the input freeze, if I input a bunch of stuff, it's literally reading my controller inputs, down, down, forward, forward, plus kick. 
It's just reading that. And it says, oh, you know what? That's a special move. So as soon as the freeze ends, I'm going to play that special move because I registered it during the freeze. And again, the freeze, during the freeze, nothing is actually happening in the game engine. Like nothing is advancing, right? The game is literally frozen for nine to 10 frames. So it can't do anything. And so what it's doing right now is whatever gets input during that fro freeze is that freeze period is like you're giving extra time. The way I called it was like, it's kind of like a reverse leap year, basically. It's like, oh, okay, I need to catch up to this time here. This, there's this extra day that I need to excise from the year. So every four years, we're gonna kill one day out of February. You know, it's, it's kind of like that. It's like, just to try to make things match, it has to kill nine frames somehow. And so what it's choosing to do now is it treats those entire nine frames of input as just one possible action. There's just only one possible action that can come out of those nine to 10 frames of freeze. So whatever you input during that freeze period of time, it'll use the priority system, pick one of them, and that's what happens as soon as the freeze ends. So if I input stand medium kick, quarter circle forward medium kick within that window, Instead of doing stand medium kick canceled into run, what the game is going to do is it registers a medium kick and it registers a run command. It picks one of the two, and in this case it picks run, and it makes me run afterwards. So now my standing medium kick got eaten. My standing medium kick input technically got eaten because it doesn't come out. So that's the current situation right now. What a lot of people have actually suggested then is take whatever happens in that freeze and play it out exactly after the freeze ends. So if I hit medium kick, quarter circle forward, medium kick, as soon as the freeze ends, play medium kick, quarter circle forward, medium kick. But the problem is now you are duplicating time. <laughs> You have layered the time inside the freeze on top of real time now. If I play out medium kick, quarter circle forward plus medium kick, and I'm doing stuff actually after the freeze. <laughs> so let's say I do medium kick, quarter circle forward, medium kick during the freeze, and then I start wiggling the joystick and mashing the buttons. What happens to those inputs that I'm pressing in real time while the freeze inputs are played out. <laughs> and I'm sorry, this is getting super technical. If you're a programmer, all of this makes sense. If you're not a programmer, this is gonna be so mind boggling here. But basically, this is the problem here. From a programmatic standpoint, if you are a developer programming this into the game, if I play out medium kick, quarter circle forward, medium kick after the freeze, what happens to everything I'm inputting during that time? Well, you'll be like, okay, well, you know what? That's a necessary evil. That's a necessary evil because you input it during the freeze and the freeze is so short, that's what you meant to do. That should take priority. That should absolutely take priority over whatever inputs you're putting in in real time because you already put those inputs in during the freeze. Make sense, right? So logically speaking, you're like, that shouldn't cause any problems. You meant to do that during the freeze. And so now you're going to get that 
after the freeze. Simple, right? Let's say I'm trying to do a super. Let's say I'm trying to do a super. And then the guy drive rushes when I didn't expect it. And during the freeze, I hit quarter circle forward. And after the freeze ends, I hit quarter circle forward plus punch. What do you think is going to happen here? <laughs> so if we play out exactly the, let's say we do this all as efficiently as possible. Quarter circle forward, down, down, forward, forward. It was three frames. And then punch was the fourth frames. Both times we input it. We input it absolutely perfect. So I input down, down, forward, forward during the freeze, down, down, forward, forward, plus punch after the freeze. The first quarter circle forward is going to play out after the freeze and erase the second quarter circle forward that I input. And so instead of a super, I am getting fireball. <laughs> I am getting fireball. <laughs> so in this situation where we play out the inputs exactly as they occurred during the freeze, my super input got eaten. <laughs> So even when we go the other way, it got eaten. Well, if I didn't erase it, where would it, when would it play? When would that quarter circle forward actually play? Do we take everything that we've input after the freeze and push it backwards so that it happens after everything that happened during the freeze? Which means you're gonna get lag and if you're a charge character and you're holding down, you're always gonna be three frames behind until you let go of down and reach a neutral state. <laughs> you will forever be three frames behind playing everything out because you're shoving everything out by three frames for the quarter circle forward until you reach a neutral state where you're like, okay, I can catch up now. When would you actually catch up to real time is the question. And the only way to do that is to erase frames, is to erase some of the input frames because you've added nine frames to a timeline that doesn't exist. So some people have suggested getting rid of the freeze. Dude, drive rushes are unreactable. It's so broken when there's no freeze. Oh my god, they put the freeze in there to make them fair. They put the freeze in there to make them fair. Now, here's the question. It's like, what the hell? Why did they do the... Freezes have been in fighting games forever. Almost every super in every fighting game causes this exact same situation. When you activate a super and re-ultra combo in four and Ryu goes... It's all the same thing. It's the exact same freeze. So why haven't we ran into this problem before? Because those freezes are so goddamn long that you're like, I tried to fire, freeze. Oh, shoot. Uh, did it register my super? I don't know. Let me mash. You have like 60 frames, 70 frames, 120 frames, 500 frames to react to the fact that you got interrupted by a freeze. Whereas if you are playing on against the drive rush, the drive rush is like 10 frames. So when it happens, it's too late for you to actually react and actually do anything to it. Uh, I mean, a lot of older games don't, didn't have uh, freezes for some of their supers. Uh, so that's the thing. The way that they've implemented it is exactly the way that a lot of games have 
implemented for handling freezes this whole entire time. In other words, there's no mistake here. There's no mistake except for the jump. Except for the jump, there's no mistake here. Capcom has literally implemented the way to handle freeze the exact same way the majority of fighting games have been handling freeze forever. And all the situations that everybody has given me has not quite success succeeded. Somebody even suggested like, okay, instead of registering the inputs, register the moves. So in other words, if I do standing medium kick into quarter circle forward plus medium kick, instead of registering the inputs, register one move and then register another move and then play those moves out without actually putting the inputs into the game. You just play, and it's like, now you're just trying to write this engine where the game can recognize it. And does it understand? Is it going to try to play the medium kick and then the, then the uh, other special move? What's the timing that it's gonna try to do the special move? Because for moves that are cancelable, is it going to cancel the move? Or is it just going to wait until after the move is done and play it out? And if the move isn't cancelable, does it try to cancel and then negate the special move? Or does it actually just wait till the move is done and then play the other move? Dude, you're writing a whole engine <laughs> to interpret this. And then what if I messily input a fireball motion and hit punch before I hit to get forward and then hit punch, but because of the ability to carrot cancel normals, it lets me fireball in regular situation. But now when I do that during the freeze, it registers a punch and then it registers a fireball and treats them as two separate moves. And now I'll come out with a strong instead of a fireball when if it didn't freeze, it would have, dude, there's no good, solution to this. <laughs> so, uh, the base thing that irks people is simply that drive rush is unfair to the defender. It screws the defender out of options to defeat it when it's actually already hard to react to. Absolutely. That's a whole different discussion, 12 Asians. That's a whole different discussion. But there is plenty of people out there who are still talking about drive rushes eating inputs. And that's all I'm trying to do right now is establish that they really aren't eating inputs, but they are eating inputs, just not the way that you think that they're eating inputs. And so really what it comes down to is I, am, I have been racking my brain to try to come up with a proper solution on how to fix this, but I don't know if there is one. Some people were saying, don't actually freeze the thing. Just add nine frames of startup to the drive rush. And that just makes it easier to react to. You just broke every drive rush juggle combo in the game by adding nine frames. You just broke every drive rush cancel combo in the game. Zangief's low jab drive rush cancel into low jab is, is a one frame link. By the way, adding nine frames extra startup to the drive rushes, you broke every combo in the game that involves drive rush. You can't do that. You can't do that. So uh, some people are like, shift the frames then, then don't do the, dude, like, I don't know. Like from a programmer standpoint, there's like no good way to solve this problem as far as I can tell yet. Uh, yeah, I know a lot of people are like, there's screwdriver rush combos in, Rah! but you're fundamentally changing the game that way, right? So, uh, it's not that easy. Um, that's all I'm trying to get cleared out in this video, is that I'm just trying to scientifically explain 
why we haven't come up with a good solution. A lot of people have been coming up with some very clever things like don't actually replay the inputs unless you read a button press, like for the quarter circle forward, the double quarter circle forward. So the so it reads the whole input no matter what. And there've been a lot of suggestions, but every single one of them I can poke a hole into. The real question is, which is the less, the least of all evils? Out of all the solutions, which ones would come up with the least probable situation where something would get eaten and that's what we're going to go with. What Capcom did here was the default behavior that most games are using for freeze. Most fighting games use the exact same kind of system for freezes, like I said, during super startups, even during uh, V reversals in Street Fighter V, there was a little bit of freeze there as well. Uh, which has eaten some people's inputs before. So uh, a lot of people like that. Uh, yeah, and if you're a charge character and you lose charge during freeze, yeah, that's kind of a, a, a bummer as well, too. <laughs> um, and that's the thing. That's what I want to establish because a lot of people are out there like, Capcom sucks. They're, they're not fixing it. They're ignoring the problem. No, I think they're confused. And I think that they don't know what to do uh, as much as everybody else is. <laughs> So, um, that's the thing. And, and if you guys have more suggestions, please absolutely throw them into the YouTube comments because I have been uh, talking to a lot of people about this in YouTube comments from the previous video as well, trying to come up with ideas on how to fix it. And, you know, as a programmer, yes, as soon as you give me a solution, the first thing I'm going to do is try to break it. That's what programmers do. But like I said, out of all the solutions, which one is the least offensive? Which one will cause the least amount of problems? Which one will actually, hi, Nathan, be able to, uh, will, will be the one that people can put up the most with? If the cases in which it does eat inputs are super rare or less common or maybe even just, you know, if that happens, it's really not that bad, you know, that's the solution that we want to go with. But I, right now, I do not think that there is a super elegant solution because in order for the game to have a super elegant solution, it has to know exactly what your intention was, and it has to know what your goal was, and it has to understand way more about the game than it possibly needs to understand. You would have to write a giant engine to be able to interpret what you wanted to have happen with your inputs. Because there are like seven bazillion different things you can input and it has to know what you wanted. The way that the game's interpreting inputs right now is literally frame by frame. And that's just how it works. It has no knowledge of what, it doesn't understand anything about cancels or anything. It's just, you hit this button here. What's the state of the game? Can these things be possible? Sure, and then it lets it happen. It is not going, your intention was to cancel this move into this. No, it's just frame by frame going, you know what? What do these inputs mean to the state of the game? All right, next frame. What do the inputs mean to the state of the game? All right, next frame. I mean, the best example was uh, the unblockables in Super Turbo, which is one of the greatest, uh, which is one of the greatest bugs that I have ever seen. I love this bug. So basically... Moves that hit on the first frame in Super Turbo had a 50% chance of being unblockable. Why? 
Why did this happen? Because the person who was programming the game was going, well, when we process the state of a character, we need to process the state of one character and then process the state of the next character. But if I always process the first player first and the second player second, isn't that unfair to the second player? So you know what? I'm going to put a random generator in the game that will just randomly pick which of the two characters I process first. <laughs> so it decides which character to process first by a random generator. And it led to uh, an unblockable situation that is 50-50. And you'll never believe it, but it's the character, if you get processed second, that your unblockable hits. <laughs> Because if it processes one character first, the one not doing the attack, it goes, huh, what state am I in? I'm standing here and I'm holding backwards on the controller. Is the opponent attacking right now? He's not. Okay, so you don't need to block. Let me process the next character. Next character. Let me, what are you doing? Oh, you did your move that hits on the very, very first frame. Interesting. Well, that means you can hit right now. What's the opponent doing? He's not doing anything. Hit him. <laughs> if it was the opposite way, it would be, huh, am I attacking right now? I am attacking. What's the opponent doing right now? I don't know. All right, so you're attacking. And you go to the second character, and the second character goes, what am I doing right now? I'm holding back. Is the enemy attacking? Yes, he is. I'm going to block. So if you get processed second, you actually block the move. If you get processed first, you get hit by an unblockable. <laughs> and sure enough, Ryu, Ken, and Blanca can all do 50-50 um, unblockables in Super Turbo. But uh, most of them are not useful except for Ryu's, Ryu and Ken's. Their air tatsu hits on the first frame, and that's why you'll see some Ryu's do jump air tatsu meaty over and over and over again, and some guy just keeps getting hit, and you're like, why isn't he blocking? And it's because he got the lucky 50-50 every single time. Blanca's just any of his Blanca balls. All of his Blanca balls hit on the first frame. The problem, the reason why it's not useful is because if you block the Blanca ball, you kill Blanca. So it's not worth it for Blanca to risk the 50-50 to do a chunk of damage where if he's wrong, you kill him. But Ryu's air tatsu is if you block it, he's plus like 29 frames and he can do all sorts of mean things to you anyway. And if you don't block it, he gets to loop it. <laughs> That's the problem. Uh, yes, and I think in later games, what they do is they read the states before they decide kind of what happens. There's gonna be a, a priority. There's gonna be an order to it. And so that way it doesn't happen. So, but again, all these things are program problems. They're programmatic problems. And this drive rush freeze is one of them. It is absolutely a weird programming problem that you have literal amounts of time that you need to erase. And again, in super freezes, it feels like it would be worse because you've got a giant chunk of time, but the human mind has the ability to go, whoa, he activated the super. Did he ruin my input? Let me input it again. Let me input it again. Hell, let me input it again. And so you register it three times and now you'll get what you wanted, right? So. Or the freeze happens so long, you're like, oh, did that eat my standing medium kick? I'm just going to keep mashing medium kick. And after the freeze ends, your medium kick comes out, and then I do quarter circle forward. 
So it works on the longer freezes. The problem with drive rush is the fact that the freeze is only nine to fr 10 frames long. And that's what causes all the problem. Uh, Strive RC freeze. Yeah, I think, a, I think there's a lot of it there too. I, I haven't experimented with it, but I'm sure it behaves in very, very similar fashions uh, as well. That when the freeze happens, it either ignores the inputs for the enemy or it actually just cues it like chooses the priority. I would have to test it. I would have to test how it works. Some of them, some games have it so that literally, yeah, you just, you just, you just can't input anything. Super Turbo is that way. If you play Super Turbo, when the character starts up their super and does the little chi gathering, literally the opponent's inputs don't matter anymore. So that chi gathering is about the same length as the drive rush. And you'll see a lot of top super, super turbo players when they want to chip someone to death when they're getting up off the floor. They'll time their super so that they do the super right when the guy is about to do a wake up DP. Because when they do the wake up DP and you activate your super, now the game for like 9 to 10 frames reads no inputs at all whatsoever. And the player trying to do the wake up is like, did it freeze on my forward or my down or my down forward? I don't know how to finish my motion. And so after the freeze ends, the only way to get a special move is if you finish exactly where you left off from after the super ends. And mashing doesn't work in those old games because it won't register anything during that freeze. So, not, so you, you're screwed. <laughs> Super Turbo had it, so you registered absolutely nothing during the freeze. It was just frozen. <laughs> this game state doesn't exist. And now all the modern games have it, so you can do stuff during the freeze. And so that's a, a kind of a different kind of situation. So here in Street Fighter VI, I don't know what the solution is. There might be some really crazy elegant solution that doesn't require you to write your own fighting game interpretation prediction engine. <laughs> Did you hit the timing it'll take so that it'll cancel this move? Then I'll let you cancel it. You know, like you don't like that's too much work. Like maybe there's an elegant solution. I haven't thought of one. Uh, if you guys can think of one, feel free to try to throw it into the chat. But uh <laughs> So far, as a programmer, uh, I haven't been able to come up with something that works. But I just wanted to get that cleared up. And I know <laughs> this is way longer of a video than you probably cared to watch to understand this. Uh, but, you know, I wanted to explain it, be thorough about it, have this all on record so that people understand exactly what's happening and why this is a solution that Capcom hasn't fixed yet. Because, again, I personally believe there is no solution right now. And if there is one, they haven't thought of it either. So this is what, where we're at at this point. We need to figure something out. And, uh, again, it might just come down to we just accept it how it is. That's just part of the engine. Like I said, in Super Turbo, people would take advantage of it on purpose to mess up other people's inputs. You see uh, Bonchan do this all the time. Uh, not Bonchan. Uh, there's a Guile player in Japan that would purposely drive rush right before you try to neutral jump a sonic boom to try to eat your jump input. Like, literally... <laughs> That's what some of these players will actually do. They take advantage of it, right? And that's what we've done all our lives for fighting games. Maybe we just live with how it is, understand when it happens, and actually use it as a tactic. Like, that's actually a legit tactic. 
that some people, that Guile players are using to mess you up from neutral jumping over fireballs with the right timing. Like, this is actually a tactic. So maybe we don't do anything. Maybe we just let it rock how it is. The question really is, what is the least of evils out of all of the options? And that's the one that we want to go through. Or if we can find a solution that actually fixes the majority of the problems, that's what we go for. But the main point I'm trying to establish is, one, this is why it's hard to fix. And two, it's hard to fix. <laughs> this is not, there's not an error going on in here. There is no unintended behavior. There is no bug. There is nothing crazy happening here that's broken. It is behaving exactly as all fighting games have been forever practically for screen freezes, for things like super startups, drive reversals, V reversals, ultra startups, etc., etc. It's just that because it's so short, it's rearing its ugly head in a different way, except for the jump input. Capcom, you can fix the jump input problem that up during the freeze registers as up. And then the drive rush method to make you miss the jump over fireballs won't even happen. But that is something that should be fixed now. That is the one bug you can fix right now, Capcom. But outside of that, we are going to have to take for a while, except the fact that some inputs will get eaten in very, very, very peculiar situations and uh, live with that for now, unless somebody can come up with a better solution. So that's all I wanted to do here for today. Um, would it just be fair to, for the defend, to the defender to remove the plus frames on DR? If you're just talking about balancing drive rushes, uh, 12 Asians, I already gave my suggestions in the previous video. You can find that on YouTube, but to summarize it, I just want you to have be in a punish counter state when you dash. When you drive rush and if you get hit out of your dash of a drive rush, you stumble forward or, or you stop in place rather than getting pushed backwards. So that way, if I check your drive rush, I can get big combos off of you just like you can if you drive rush in on me. What we're doing is balancing out the risk and the reward. The reason why I want you to stumble forward or at least stay in place is because if I check you, most of the time you check a drive rush is because you stick a button way out there and you hit them with the tip and then you either have to commit to canceling into something, but if it's a punish counter and you hit them and they kind of stumble forward a little bit with the same frame data, now I can actually just hit the button and if I check you, easily link a combo and do some big damage on you in the same way that you can do big damage on me if you get in with a drive rush. That's my suggestion on fixing the drive rush, so. Okay, uh, there we go. That's it for this episode here. And so thank you guys for uh, dealing with some tech talk over here. <laughs> That's what I like to call these videos, a science tech talk videos uh, on exactly what's happening with the drive rush. So uh, if you enjoy this kind of video, if you're one of those programming geeks or uh, mechanics geeks, who are game mechanic geeks who love this kind of conversation, let me know and I'll do more of these. Uh, but that's basically the situation here. And so uh, for now, I think we have to accept drive rushes as they are, except for the jump, uh, until someone can come up with a better solution. And until then, that's what we're going to have to go with. So in any case, thank you guys for watching. Uh, please like and subscribe. And again, if you have any good ideas, type them in the chat. 
And I, like I said, I'm going to try to poke holes in them, not because I'm trying to be contrarian or try to be mean, because that's what you have to do as a programmer. Again, 90% of code written on the planet is to handle situations that you hope never happen. Okay, that is the nature of coding, is that you code for all the craziness and try to hope that it never, ever happens. <laughs> that is the nature of coding. So, uh, like I said, I'll be poking holes into it just because we want to make sure that it's thorough and it works. Uh, but outside of that, hope you guys did enjoy this very, very technical video here. Hope you guys uh, are enjoying the content here uh, in general. And I will see you guys next time. And remember... The day that this podcast graced your ears was the most important and potentially confusing day of your life. <laughs> but for me, it was Tuesday.